0: and he's like i can tell you for a fact that you do have fibroids i know it's multiple fibroids but i cannot tell exactly where and how many Mm -hmm. there are so for that i'm going to run an ultrasound right here in my office and then i will book you for multiple you know tests because i think you need to do a surgery asap
1: welcome to the show I am your host Anya Fombad, and I spark the hard conversations that challenge questionable cultural and societal norms that threaten the well-being of the African community. And I also share stories about growing up as Africans in Africa and in the diaspora. I strongly believe that normalizing open discussions and sharing experiences, whether good or bad, will not only make you find your voice but will broaden your sense of purpose and empower others to do the same. So if you have ever tried challenging certain African cultural and societal doctrines or if you have ever felt like it is about time that we confronted these issues in our African community and do better as a people... Or even if you have always been interested in learning about the experiences of other Africans growing up in Africa and the diaspora, then you are in the right place. Welcome to Living African. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Living African. So today we will be talking about fibroids. So while we talk about all the factors that influence some societal and cultural pressures and ideologies in our African communities, like the pressure to get married, pressure to have kids, for example, I believe it is time that we give more light to the realities of certain things that many of our people experience, which most people don't know about. So I would love for us to use this platform to openly speak about some of the issues that our African men and women go through, which are typically not talked about otherwise. Today we will shed more light on fibroids and how they impact fertility in women. Now this is the first time we are talking about topics as such, but it will definitely not be the last time. We will definitely revisit these topics as they are very important in giving perspective and shedding more light on the other side of the story which we tend to forget when asking questions which may come off as insensitive sometimes. So what are fibroids and how do they impact fertility? So according to the Office on Women's Health, fibroids are muscular tumors that grow in the wall of the uterus or the womb of a woman. They're almost always not cancerous, meaning they don't cause cancer, and they can grow as a single tumor or they can be many of them in the uterus. They can be as small as an apple seed or as big as a grapefruit. In unusual cases, they can actually become very large. So about a few statistics on fibroids, up to about 80% of women develop fibroids by the time they reach 50. And actually fibroids are more common in black women compared to other races. According to the American Society for Reproductive Medicine, fibroids are responsible for infertility in about 5 to 10% of women. Now this actually seems small, but you probably know more women who have fibroids and are struggling to conceive than not. The types of fibroids that most likely affect fertility are located inside the cavity of the uterus or they are usually the ones that are very large and growing inside the wall of the uterus. Now factors that increase a woman's risk of developing fibroids are age, family history, ethnic origin, obesity and even eating habits. Fibroids come with several different symptoms, which are sometimes very difficult, and these include painful and heavy menstrual bleeding, frequent urination, or large fibroids can actually cause the abdomen or the stomach area to enlarge, making a woman look pregnant. So talking about pregnancy, fibroids also affect pregnancy, which could put the mother or the baby at risk. Now, no one really knows for sure what causes fibroids, but some researchers think that it could be hormonal or genetic. So now that we have an idea about what fibroids are, I think we should learn more about what it means to live with fibroids and how it affects the quality of life from a health, emotional, and mental perspective from the experience of others. So today I have my very good friend with me, Ne Awaba. ABAM and she will be sharing her story about fibroids and what life has been like living with fibroids. So hi Ney. I am so happy to have you on here on this platform and it's such an honor to to hear your story and just to listen to you speak about such an important topic especially in the lives of black women all over the world and most importantly in Africa. So I just want to officially welcome you to Living African podcast and I look forward to our
0: conversation. How are you doing today? Hi, Miss Anya. Thank you. I mean, I always call you Miss Anya, right? I know.
1: <laughs> and I love that. It makes me feel ladylike.
0: <laughs> you are, and you're always so beautiful. I always marvel at how pretty you look every time I see you. Oh my goodness, I know. thank you. I mean, I, I, I'm really excited. I might even look nervous being on this platform because it's really, it's, it's a platform that's really very uplifting and I think as an African in the diaspora, yeah. this is something that I look forward to. Every time you post an episode, I look forward to it because there's always something that you could relate to or maybe not relate to, but the things that I've heard on the platform that has probably changed my perspective on how I reasoned on something. So it's, it's really an honor
1: right. to be
0: here and uh, to talk about, you know, something as important as fibroids and maybe from my perspective.
1: Right. Thank you so much for those kind words and like I said it's 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 words like this that keep me going, you know. I mean of course the purpose drives me, but sometimes we get discouraged and you know like every other person, you know, sometimes you just don't have the same momentum to keep going and then somebody comes up and just, you know, tells you how much of an impact you're making in their lives and, you know, mm-hmm. it changes everything. So I really appreciate it. And I really want to thank you for that now. So can you introduce yourself to our listeners for them to know more about you and the work you do? Thank
0: you. So as you already said, I am Newa Abam and, um, I, it's always it's always a challenge for me to introduce myself because I'm trying very hard to be modest here. But I will just come directly and tell you I I am the founder of a very small organization called Fibroids Awareness Cam. Right. And this this is a platform that was birthed out of my own experience with Fibroids. And um every time I talk about Fibroids Awareness Cam, I always have to appreciate. A dear friend of mine, Dr. Abime, because she actually, she actually put me in the place where I was ready to talk about it, and because I, I was affected by this monstrous situation, and I just really didn't know how to handle it, right. and I knew I had to talk about it to someone or to I need I needed to let other women know what's happening, but I just don't think that my that I was in the right space of mind at the time. But then when I spoke with Dr. Abime, she, she was like, no, babes, you, we have to. We have to get the word out. Right. So um, fabric Awareness Time was birthed um, in June of 2020, mm-hmm. which is last year.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: A lot of things happened last year. Right, <laughs> some, right. good things, some good things came out of whatever situation we found ourselves last year. So we've been running out for about mm-hmm. a year, and basically our focus is with our sisters back in Cameroon because I know there's a lot of talk about fibroids and the sensitization out here. Mm-hmm. But back at home, there is a disconnect and their taboos, you know, their religious views, their, you know, just emotional and mental situations are not letting people come up front and own, you know, own the situation and say, okay, yes, I do have fibroids, but it's not your fault. I'm I'm not the cost of my fibroids. So right. this little group, initially I used to think of it as a as a watch group or you know, as a sisterhood. And um, so it's, it's just somewhere that we can come and share the information on the medical perspective from patient experience, maybe, or, you know, and then there's people who don't even know anything about it. And there's others who know so much about it, but have never seen it as a threat. Yeah. So this is really just... Um, a small like a watch group really. watch your sister watch right. the back of your sister kind of group right. and we hope that I mean we're, we're, this is the first year we've been clumsy about have so many ideas and so many approaches that we want to go through. and we' felt in quite a number of them but effectively people are listening because uh, literally every day when I wake up and I get a message from one young lady or another and actually I'm even getting messages from people who are not even Cameroonians, and yeah. they're reaching and they're like nene, you're doing a great job. Please, how can I do this? How can I do that? Or how did you manage this? When I see those messages, then I know that even if we're not getting our target group in Cameroon right now, we're still reaching out to someone, Some and days. that message might translate to someone back at home or something like that. So yeah.
1: that's basically yeah. vibrates awareness. Wow, wow, wow. You seem to be, to be doing such a great job in such a short time so far. And I mean, we're going to talk more about that later. And I honestly, I'm looking forward to that because I'd really love to, to learn more about that. But I can definitely identify to certain things that you're talking about in terms of, you know, it's kind of a taboo and a lot of women that struggle with the fibroid issues, but they just don't have that audacity or that boldness or that even vulnerability to step up and speak about it or even confide in something someone or a health professional who can help them, you know? So yeah, I definitely look forward to us talking about that. Now tell us about your story and basically how you came to realize that you had fibroids.
0: Okay. So my story probably started as far back as 2017, but at the time I, I wasn't even aware that this was, you know, the situation that I was dealing with. I was newlywed, I mean, in all the glory, basking, and I was pregnant. And, um, you know, that was a very happy moment for me. However, that happiness was very momentary. I I had a miscarriage, and that's when everything started to go downhill. Of course, you you know me. You you know me from way back. You know that I wasn't always this chubby. I was on the slimmer side, very much so. And even when I was pregnant, I was. But when I had a miscarriage, and I cannot tell you for a fact if it was the fibres that triggered the miscarriage or if it was after the miscarriage that i i you know the hormones triggered you know a rapid growth of of my tumors, yeah, however, I had that miscarriage, and that's when you know a lot of things change physically complexion my you know i was gaining weight in the abdominal area and in fact people thought i was pregnant mm. for months and even for years because i struggled with that so yeah i've been to doctors back at home i was in cameroon i was in between cameroon nigeria at the time and i saw doctors in cameroon and even doctors in nigeria but the response i was getting was like it's okay you just had a miscarriage It's hormones you know it, it will balance out don't worry mm-hmm. you have kids blah 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 And it's only when I moved to Dubai and years after, because when I moved to Dubai, I I went to see a doctor and she was like, no, it's okay. You just have H. pylori. Mm. I mean, I'm not medical. So I don't really know what all these things are. But she was treating me for H. pylori and gastric. Mm. Gastritis. And she treated me for that for like eight months. And it's at that point in time, I'm like, no, there's something wrong. So I really started to, and also I had been trying. Of course, having a miscarriage and all of that, it worried me because yeah. I wanted kids as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately for me, my situation was a little bit more stressful because at the time, my husband and I didn't live together. We yeah. lived very different axis. And so every, we had just one chance every time we met. Mm -hmm. And so that was in the way, and I didn't even know that this was what was always keeping me in the, you know, what what was always in the way of, you know, trying to conceive and all of that. So at that point, I had been researching a lot, and every time I researched, I would see, you know, information about fibroids. And so it to click in my mind, like, could this be it? But I'm like, nah, you know, it cannot really. But the last straw for me was when I went home in 2019 to see my dad. It was, he was really critically ill. He had cancer mm-hmm. at the time. And when I got there, him and my mom, their expressions were, I mean, it was so real, like raw that, you know, I began to feel concerned because like, they looked at me and they're like, Mm-mm, something is wrong. You know, like this can be our kid because I look pregnant. I really looked like I was nine months pregnant plus. Mm. And, um, you know, I had difficulties working. I was always tired, fatigued. My complexion was crazy my face I had like you know it was really I had like so much hyperpigmentation all over yeah so you know my mom really my my dad of course was you know not talking much about it because he was in pain but my mom was very vocal she's like no something is wrong so when after that trip I went back the same day I got to Dubai I went to see a specialist because I was like if I'm just seeing a general practitioner and all i'm getting is h pylori which i've been treating for years and by the way i was on all kinds of slim cost regimes i was hitting the gym pain you know doing dieting waist trainers all those things and it wasn't working so now with mom's genuine concern i'm like no there's no time to waste so the moment i got back to dubai that same day i booked an appointment i was lucky to get one with an amazing doctor i didn't know him before that i just went there and when I walked into his office, the first thing he said to me, smiling, actually, because this is what he does. And mm-hmm. he's beating like me every day. He's like, you have fibroids, but I want to hear your story. Oh, so wow. I sat there wondering, like, how does he know? But I just gave him a background of, you know, my medical history and everything. And he's like, I can tell you for a fact that you do have fibroids. I know it's multiple fibroids, but I cannot tell exactly where and how many mm-hmm. there are. So... For that, I'm going to run an ultrasound right here in my office, and then I will book you for multiple, you know, tests because I think you need to do a surgery ASAP. Mm. In fact, he was already telling me that he won't he won't want to wait two weeks for me to have that surgery because it's really urgent. Mm. And so we went and did the ultrasound. His his office ultrasound actually showed I had multiple. Maybe they showed about twenty Whoa. plus. But as the, as the days passed, he booked me really for all those tests that he said. And I went and did an MRI scan. And the MRI scan showed that I had 40-plus fibroids of different shapes and sizes. I mean, all the different types of fibroids that you can imagine. There's, there's four main types of fibroids. There's yeah. intramurals, there's submucosals, yeah. there's submucosals, I had all of that. Mm. And, you know, Dr. Simon was thorough. He put me through every medical test. To prepare me for that two weeks deadline that he gave me, he was very sure he needed to do it within two weeks, and he did it actually in three weeks. But within that time period, he put me through everything. I saw ENT doctors, I saw anesthesiologists, I saw health and fitness, I saw nutritionists basically everything that you can think of to prepare me for that period. It's a really short period of time. Mm-hmm. But one thing I can tell you, Miss Anya, is that I wasn't mentally prepared for what was coming. Right. I just thought, you know, how hard can it be? You know, right. I was reading online, Googling stuff, and I'm just like, okay, fine. And I, I, I have to say that before I jump into the rest of the story, because I think this will be a story that we'll probably have to go back and forth sometimes. Mm-hmm. Depending on, you know, just so we don't miss out on anything. Yeah. So one of the things I want to say before we proceed is having a support system when you're going through something like this is very important because I can tell you for a fact, emotionally and mentally, it's very crushing. Hmm. It's heavy. And I was alone at the time. None of my family lived in Dubai with me because my husband was still on a different axis. My family on a different axis. And it was a trying time for us because my dad was literally dying. Oh,
2: my goodness. And um,
0: I had a friend who was my colleague, and we were we sisters to date. And Gemma, she, you know, I just told her casually, like, two days to my, to my surgery. I just told her, like, I'm going in for surgery, and um, I'll see you when I get back. And she was like, uh-uh, mm-mm. There's no way you're going in. Like, she was like, do you even understand what you're saying? And she dropped everything. She took off work. It was her and another friend, another Indian friend of mine. They both took off work, which was hard because the company we were working for were like slave drivers. They would not let us take that kind of off. But they did. I don't know how they did it, but the two of them took off and they were there with me the day I actually went in for surgery. I'll show you pictures and videos in the back. I was dancing. I'm foolish. I was really foolish dancing. (laughs) I really wasn't prepared for that. But maybe it was a good thing that I was kind of ignorant and a bit, you know, innocent and just dancing, you know. Because when I came out of surgery, I was a completely different person. It was really a life and death situation. It was like I was back from the land of the dead. So, and Gemma was there. She held my hand through everything. She's the one who probably signed that form that says if anything goes wrong. And I didn't even know she signed that. Mm -hmm. You know, she was going to bear the brunt of that. And we went in. Within few minutes of me being in, they knocked me out, and I was gone. And I only woke up, like, 1,000 years after. And she gave me a, you know, a, a, and every time she tells me her side of the story, I feel emotional because I don't know why she would even carry that weight. She Like, we were just friends, you know. Yeah. And she carried that kind of heavy weight, which was supposed to be something that my family should have carried if they were there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she told me she was standing out there for five good hours and no one would talk to her. No one would tell her what was going in and she was just scared. And after like five and half hours of all of that, the doctor came out and told her it was successful, mm. but I had lost so much blood and mm. you know, I was in ICU. She couldn't even see me at the time. She only came hours after. And I remember waking up and she was the first person I saw. It was just like love at first sight. That's all you probably need when you're going through something like that. Yeah. yeah. So I'm yeah. grateful to Njema because if I didn't have her, I don't know what would have been my story. Maybe it would have been a different thing. But yes, they took out they took out 41 fibroids out of me, mm. and mm. the biggest one looked like the head of a baby. Mm. Yes, that's literally were like all... a grapefruit. Yes, mm. and um, they were all different shapes and sizes, and they were. Filled up in a bucket. And when they weighed everything, it was really heavy. And the doctor and his partner came in and said, You were carrying the weight of two real full time babies in you. Mm. Yes. And my weight at the time before the surgery was about 89 kgs. Mm. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how much that is in pounds here. Yeah. That's about maybe 100 and 100 and to what's
1: 185.
0: Or mm-hmm. something like that, yeah? Yes. And after surgery, I was back down to about 65 or so. Yeah, wow. But yes, there is, you know, it, 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 I, I've been in this fibrous thing now for almost two years. And one thing I want to say is that there's a lot of misconceptions and there's a lot of misinformation. And um, that's why I'm, I'm trying to set the record straight. I'm not a medical official, so sometimes yeah. my... My my information might not feel like it's accurate for some people, but I'm saying it based off my experience. based off of my own experience. There's people that will tell you that no, if you're only living a holistic lifestyle, then you cannot have fibroids as huge as that. I can discredit you for that mm-hmm. because I met and befriended a lady mm-hmm. who lives that lifestyle. She looks very slim. Yeah. She, you know, these people who are asymptomatic and there's people who are symptomatic like me. Mm-hmm. I had all the symptoms going for me from the painful periods to, you know, blood clots and, you know, nausea, all those things. However, my friend, she didn't look it, but when she went for her surgery, she had about 20 plus come out of her. So, as she rightly said in the beginning, there is no straightforward cause as of now but there are risk factors and if we pay attention to the risk factors you can actually eliminate you know the chances of having not not eliminating the chances of having it completely because that's really not in your control Mm -hmm. but you can eliminate the chances of having it at such critical level so you can manage it what I know today, as opposed to what I knew then, because earlier this year, when I, because I do my regular checkups and earlier this year, when I went in for one of my checkups recently, you know, the ultrasound showed that there's some new generations. I haven't talked about this yet, but why mm. not talk about it on, on right. your platform? Right. And, um, if that was me two years ago, I would have panicked. I would be like, Why? But this time around I know better. First of all, this is not growing in the cavity of my my uterus anymore, but right. and they're very small and very almost insignificant. But an insignificant fibroid could easily become a very significant fiber in a short time. time yeah. and, and and it's it's different for some people. Some people take years to grow their fibroids to significant shape and sizes, and others would just grow like literally within weeks and months. Right. So First thing that I want to say based on my experience, this is the backstory. I won't talk too much about it, but mm-hmm. pay attention. It's your body and your body speaks to you. We just don't listen. As African women, we are not really cultured to listen to our bodies. Right. We're not cultured to pay attention to our health. We don't even have a healthcare system that, you know, educates or sensitizes women or the men in your life. Mm-hmm you know, about situations like this, literally every situation that is a healthcare scare for a woman is related to her fertility. Yeah. If you have breast cancer, it's still related to your fertility somehow. If you have fibroids, if you have cervical cancer, all those things, it's really related to your fertility, which in actual terms, I don't know what would be the right way to put it, is what really makes you a woman because what differentiates you from, you know, the other gender is that you have, the possibility of carrying yeah. life within mm-hmm. you. So once that feels like it's taken away from you, then you really begin to feel like, what am I worth? And then unfortunately, there is no preparation for all of that, the mental preparation as well. Uh, yeah. Our cultures really press down on emotions.
1: Yeah. Oh, I feel
0: like this, I feel like this. Nah, you're good. You're good. You're, you're, you're a strong woman. Handle it. Yeah. I get that a lot. Truly, I am a strong woman, but you know what? I'm vulnerable sometimes and I just want to talk about it. I just right. want to, even not just talk about it, but I just want someone to understand that, you know, I'm going through something. Right, right. And, um, you know, the men need to be there to support their, their wives or their sisters because it might not be your wife, but it could be your sister. You, you know this, you've read the statistics. Yeah. For us black, black women, women of African descent, it's out of every 20 women, there's like 13 to 15 that have fibroids. Out of the 13 to 15, there's like five who really know that they have fibroids and there's like 10 who don't even know what's going on. Right. So a, a man in your life should be supportive enough. They should also be educated about your biology. Yep. Um, you know, why are you having such irregular cycle? That's something that I never paid attention. I was a tomboy. I didn't know that having irregular cycle was not normal. It's, it's right. actually not normal. Yeah. Pay attention to those things. Yeah. Your body will speak louder than any doctor will speak to you. So, And then a very important thing I want to say, we, we're all coming from different religious backgrounds or, or denominations. So some of the actions that people take towards these medical conditions are based off of their faith as well. But I want to say this from, from my Christian perspective, God really is the healer and he's the one who will take you out of that situation. But then God has inspired humans because we are masterpieces in his eyes. And he has inspired us to know about science, know about technology, which aids in that process of healing. So while you pray and please pray, because that's what you would need. But remember that you have to go see a doctor. Because even if the doctor gives you a false report, you need that report as a motivation to be like, okay, Lord Jesus, you need to really take me out of this dungeon that I find myself in. But if you're just praying without any backing and you're expecting this huge miracle to happen, it it could happen. Right. And I want it to happen. Right. But what motivates you to actually take care? Because some people just pray and they don't take care of their health. So there's so many factors. And I don't think that we could talk about it all in one day. But basic understanding of this situation is that women have to know, one, it's not a taboo, it's not your fault. The the, the people that are around them have to be extra supportive. Try to understand, even if you don't want to, even if you don't know what she's talking about, just try to, to, to give her a listening ear and understand where she's coming from. Then you could throw whatever you want to throw at her. But then she would have told you that this is where. I'm coming from. Right. And um, thirdly, the doctors as well. Back in Cameroon, I have to say that <laughs> it's like, and please, nobody should come for me. I'm just it's my experience. I'm sorry.
2: Right.
0: But I have to say the the doctors also have to go with the times. You know, they have to update their information.
2: Yeah, And they That's have true.
0: to be yes, they have to update the information. They have to be ready to be empathetic towards the patient because sometimes we don't really know what we're dealing with. And when you're just throwing your big terms at us, you scare me or you scare the person and then you throw them into a depression and they probably never come out of that to be able to actually take care of themselves in this situation. It could be someone could just have a very minor case of fibroids, like one or two here and there. And, you know, maybe if she, she does focus on her holistic lifestyle or the fitness, the exercise, which is very good for you. Mm-hmm. That could shrink it to a reasonable size.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: However, you know, if they're not, if they're scared, they'll think this is the end of it and nobody would want to do anything for them. Just yeah, for that
1: that's story. that's that's very true. Thank you so much for everything that you've said. I mean, there are a few things that I could actually identify with you. You know, on a personal level, I actually have fibroids as well. I mean, I, I really... Well, it's not like I'm hiding it from anybody. It's just a discussion that has really never come up. So ironically, it came up on my platform. So yay. (laughs) But um, yeah, I also have fibroids. But just like about 80% of women that, you know, exist on planet Earth, or at least for the most part, especially the the black women, just about 80% of us, every like almost like a lot of my friends as well have fibroids. Like, I mean, every other friend I have, has fibroids, you know, I mean, mine is not as severe, you know, because it's, it's relatively smaller. It's not insignificant. I won't call it insignificant, but it's relatively smaller, but it has played a, a huge role in terms of like the risk that's associated Mm -hmm. with trying to conceive and also just, you know, being pregnant and stuff like Mm -hmm. that, just like any other woman. But in terms of symptoms as well, I typically have very regular symptoms and I mean, when I say regular, like my period does not miss a day. If it Mm -hmm. comes early, if it comes, if it misses, like if it's irregular, it comes like a day before, but it never goes late or it never like extends to a point. But I, I tend to realize that, you know, when I started having fibroids or when I was diagnosed with the fibroids, through an annual exam, I actually, eventually I started having very heavy bleeding, you know, Mm. which, which was not like long, you know, but just, just heavy, relatively heavy than it usually was, you know, in terms of pain, maybe every now and then I could have a little bit of pain, but then I I probably thought it was also a cyst and stuff like that. So Mm. there are a lot of very silent Symptoms that we tend to have that we also just ignore because we're like, Oh, yeah, especially in Africa where we are so consumed with the communicable diseases like malaria, but typhoid, (laughs) cholera, and all of those things like the things that you feel, you know what I mean? Like you have a headache, oh, yeah, I'm sick. You have a bellyache. Oh, yeah, I'm sick. You know, but there are some silent symptoms that we also have to really, really focus on, you know, and I mean, in, in, in subsequent episodes, we will talk a lot about that. But I, I would only imagine that based off of your experience going through all of that ordeal that you just explained to us or told us about, I mean, you were not only going through your health issues with the fibroids, but you were also going through like personal issues, family issues, you know, your your dad was literally sick and dying you know like that must have taken a huge emotional toll on you and even a mental toll on you so I'm glad that you had some support even though ideally you would have preferred more support especially from your immediate family but there are some women who actually don't even have that support as a whole you know what I mean so from this whole experience like how did you handle the emotional and even the mental aspect of this experience that you had with fibroid?
0: i'm trying to see how from what angle i want to answer this but one thing i want to say is that i think first of all even on a daily basis i'm actually really good at masking my emotions i'm i mean growing up i was very very much emotional you could see that but Mm -hmm. as i grew older I really learned the very subtle art of masking my emotions. I would, you know, not show weakness on the outside. Mm-hmm. And when I'm in, when I'm alone, I'll just let it out. So, but I, I think that the most important thing for me was that when I needed to let it out, I will. Yeah. You, and you have to. So I would cry in the shower. I would cry on my pillows. My, oh, my pillows have stories to tell. Hmm. They could tell you, you know, a lot. But also when I did get a chance, I have people in my life who also stand as pinnacles of support. And at times like that, I do reach out to some of those people. I find out that those that are closest to me, my, like my, my direct family, because sometimes they do also rely on my strength as well. Mm-hmm. And I'm coming Broken, it probably scares them, and you know they don't handle it very easy. But then, like I said, I have people in my very intimate circle who, you know, balance out who balance that out. I, I don't know if it's, it's, it's if it's true for you or for anyone, but it's those that you love the most or who love you the most, sometimes they're scared to see you broken, right. and that just not. It's just not something that is very easy for them to handle. Right. So. I, I have I have a sister, you know her. um yeah. like, uh, she's she's my pinnacle of support. So on days when I'm broken, I call her and we just talk about everything. And she always would have a word of wisdom to give me. And sometimes I talk to John. Mm-hmm. I, I, and, and you know what? I have to actually have a sit down with John and find out about his his mental state dealing with what I was going through too. Because I've never really asked him you know, it, it must have been tough for him because he wasn't right. there.
1: And he's your husband, by the way, for those who don't know who John is.
0: <laughs> Sorry, guys. My default, you just say his name. Right. You know, yeah. So, John, yeah, John is my husband. And John was amazing through that. He really, he held me down, I'll say. And you, he, for those who have met John, you know, he's very quiet and intense. And, you know, it's like a blanket, you know, so he just covers you. It, during that period, when I came out and I was in the ICU... I was there for a couple of days, really broken and everything. And then I got discharged to the regular ward. And the day that I actually got discharged out of the hospital, like eight days after I lost my dad eventually. So Mm. that was when I knew that actually as strong as you can be, you know, it's, it's really, I don't know how to put it, but one thing that was most difficult for me. And I think that if I did that and I'm still living today, then anyone else can also go through a lot and, and find their strength. Mm-hmm. So I came in, I was broken, I could not work. And Gemma was there the whole time with me. She was literally sleeping on the floor while I slept in the bed. And um, I got that call that said my dad passed away. And she, I was wailing like crazy. And I still had a cataract. You know, there was, there was a blood bag. I, mm-hmm. I don't know how to call it. So I always just call it a blood bag. There's a blood bag attached to, to my stomach because I had uh, another second incision, mm-hmm. aside from my main incision, where it was draining the bad blood and everything. So I still had that bag. Mm-hmm. And it was right inside me. So I would go everywhere with that bag. And when I got that news, it was 6 a.m. Dubai time, I was wailing like crazy. Within 30 minutes, that bag was filled. So she was panicking. And she did not know what to do, but she was trying very hard not to lose it for me. And she called the doctor and the doctor was like, please, on no occasion, should this woman cry? Because the stitches were raw. Mm. Raw stitches. I hadn't even, I had not gone for my, you know, the change. first checkup, yeah. Yes, I had not. So it was a challenge for her to try to calm me down. And then it was even more of a challenge for me to know that my dad was normal and my dad was the best friend in life for me.
2: Right. He was literally
0: everything. So I'm sitting there trying to process all of this and not being, and you know we Africans are dramatic. No other you lost lost so much, you'll be wailing and rolling. Over, and I couldn't do all of that. I couldn't even weep. And so I had to find inner strength. And that's why my catchphrase for for fibroids awareness is turn your pain into strength. Really. Mm. That's what it is. It's turn your pain into strength. So you can actually channel all that energy and all that negative vibe. You can just channel it into something that will be more productive. Mm. So I had to find ways to deal with my mental, you know, my mental health, my mental situation, and also my emotions. I was able to to rain all of that at least for that period of time and i i kept it rained in for like a year and it's only it was only like last year october that a very tiny situation happened and (sighs) yeah, you just let it out. <laughs> but I, 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 that's not my proudest moment. I, 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 I really do not like to relieve that moment. And I say, I have to have a segment where I've been wanting to have a segment where I talk about this dealing, dealing with the mental side of fibroids. Yeah. But I, the thing I want to say is that don't rein it in too long. Yeah. Take yeah. breaks from raining it in. Right. Just talk to someone. And if you can't even get someone in your circle to talk to get professional help seek right. professional um, you know a, a f- officer or somebody to talk to
2: mm-hmm. or
0: if you feel like you can't talk about it to your your inner cycle you, i mean you can talk to a stranger maybe a charge or something i mean just you need to take breaks from bringing it in because on the day that it goes off you would have no control over how it goes up right and then you know, it's, that's,
1: that's very unhealthy. Right. That's very true. So now let's talk about after the surgery, cause I know, I mean, we're going to talk li- more about this later, you know, like when we're digging oh. deep into, you know, like the outlook on fibroids, especially African women's perspective in Africa, in our African communities. But a lot of women shy away from the surgery. I mean, sometimes the doctors discourage surgery, which is understandably so, because it depending on, it's a very high risk. You they mm-hmm. could either, they could end up even having a hysteria. A hysterectomy, actually, which is, which is a, you know, removal of the, basically sure. the entire uterus, like your womb. They're going to remove mm-hmm. everything, so you're not going to be able to have kids. And a lot of mm-hmm. women shy away from that risk, but sometimes uh, you have to weigh the risk versus benefit. Mm-hmm. Now, what was your own prognosis after you had the surgery and everything? Like, what did the doc- doctor tell you about, you know, your your ability to conceive or like what was your prognosis and what what was the outcome of that surgery and the whole
0: session? Okay. So before we even get to the prognosis part, from my diagnosis, I told you that when I walked into that office, the guy was already, you know, he already knew what he was dealing with. So one of the very pertinent questions he asked me, and I would like for women to to pay attention to some of these questions when you're dealing with the doctor because you need more than one or two op- opinions in case you feel like you're not comfortable with the information that's being passed on to you. Mm-hmm. Don't feel a type of way that, no, doctor said this, and because he said this, I have to go with this. No, and he said this, and you're, you're, you're just your instinct is telling you this is not correct. Go for a second one with someone else. Mm-hmm. So he said something pertinent to me, and I respect him for that. He said to me, I want to know how old you are and if you're married and if you've had kids before or if you want to have kids. And I gave him that information. And I told him, certainly I've been trying to conceive. And he said to me, Nene, what I'll do for you is I will do everything possible to make sure that I preserve your uterus because Mm -hmm. you do need that. Mm -hmm. However, if push comes to shove and I have to choose your life over your uterus, I will definitely choose your life right and he said that in the office and he repeated that statement just few seconds before i jumped onto the um table. the operating table that was the, the first time he said it was not intimidating but the second time around when you're about to go into a life or that kind of situation it was really intimidating and i remember you know like god forbidding Lord Jesus, take the wheel kind of situation in my mind. But on the other front, I was like, yeah, 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 do what you need to do. But I was really scared deep down because I do not want to lose my womb so early. But mm-hmm. then if, if that was what had to be done, maybe. But then again, let me say something. Some of the doctors are probably using the easy way out. Mm-hmm. They are only thinking of taking it out. Right. Maybe because of billing hours, whatever it may be. It's at the end of the day, they're in a business as well. Mm. But then I want, I want, I want, I would love even the people in the medical field to look at it like this way. You're dealing with life as opposed to just the business that you're dealing with. Like every other business that has been handled doesn't really necessarily deal with life on the upfront like that. Yes. It does deal with people's lives, but then not someone actually literally putting their life in your hands like that. When doctors just meet a lady and this happens really mostly with the black ladies women of african descent Mm
2: -hmm.
0: when they meet doctors it's usually they just keep them that as a final option and most of them don't know the story most of them don't do the research before getting to the doctor's office so when a doctor tells you he's a rectomy you're like oh my god my life is finished and that's all you're thinking about Mm -hmm. but this is 2021 there are many other medical uh, sorry there are many other treatment options available to treat fibroids depending on the location and the sizes of your fibroids that's what a lot of people don't really know and the worst part is if out here in the diaspora where there's information on the go and people still don't know then imagine the kind of information that people have back at home Right. right it's actually outdated like all they think about and then People, like I said, again, back at home, the challenge is people are faced with their views as well. Oh, the pastor said, I cannot have a surgery. It's against my faith. Oh, I cannot have a blood transfusion. It's against my faith. Oh, it's a taboo. In our family, we don't do surgery. You understand? Those things, you meet those things. Yeah. But at the end of the day, what are you interested in doing? Are you trying to save your life? Or are you trying to cling on to some you know, some ideology
1: yeah. or
0: some, or someone else's perspective of what they think you should have. I don't think that a doctor should just tell you, take a hysterectomy and run with it. I want a doctor to list everything that's on the table, even if it doesn't concern me,
2: mm-hmm.
0: list it all. Let's have conversations, multiple conversations. And then you advise me based off on your situation and what we have available, because also based on the availability, if you went to a clinic in Atlanta, for example, there's many more opportunities there because I've, I've dealt with some of the doctors who are dealing with fibroids in, w- with people in Atlanta and they're, they're actually very much knowledgeable. They have advanced with a lot of things like that. But when I'm dealing with people in Cameroon, it's not the same. Yeah, they are, I mean, just it's a unidirectional kind of treatment. Yeah. Like yeah. it's either you do country medicine or you go and get cut open or that's it. Or you, you wait until you give birth and then they take you out with your baby but there's a lot of risk factors to that yeah the quality of life is changing with that like if you're if you're symptomatic like i was i mean there are times that i couldn't go out because you're just thinking of, when that time of the morning is approaching you're like geez i cannot wear white or i cannot even be out for so long because you're thinking about how many times you have to rush the bathroom to change
2: yeah the
0: pain you know you can't eat There's so many things so women are going through stuff and they don't even know what they need to do, what they're dealing with or what they need to do. So it's I think it's, it's, it's too it, the advice I'm giving is both to the patients and also to the, the medical officer, officials, be empathetic enough to, to let these people know everything that's available. And then you tell them what you have and recommend. Mm. Don't right. just throw it in right. their faces. And then for the people as well, if someone diagnoses you and say, this is what you have, I mean, we're not living in 1992 where we had to really go and pay for internet one kind of way like that. Like, you can just, even if you don't have internet, why not call your friends and say, please, can you Google this for me? I need to know what this information is. And just know mm-hmm. your information. So when they're telling you things, you're not looking stupid, like, oh my God, what's happening? No, you should know. So when the doctor is saying, I'm going to propose a my metomi for you, you're like, okay, what kind of my me? Open my metomi or the laser infused ones. And now they're even more... Uh, uh, Options like, you know, the UFE, which is something that you can just sit in a chair and they do for you. And you right. don't have to have no... In- they're, they're very invasive, less invasive yeah. methods nowadays. So right. my prognosis was really based off on my initial diagnosis. So I had already dealt with that in the initial stages. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if I had come to that point where they were going to do something like that for me, and I probably woke up without a uterus, it would have been hard, but I probably would have had my closure. Right maybe i cannot really tell but mm-hmm. one thing i can tell you is that it's scary to know that you have something and i are just going to take it away from you right. you should be willing to be the one to say i'm giving this up mm-hmm. like i've seen people who have gone through the whole five thing they've suffered they've gone through multiple surgeries miscarriages blah 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 and they've actually probably gotten their kids and they're ready and they're just tired they're like okay i have my kids now i think i'm ready to let this go that right. is understandable as opposed to just having it snatched away from your hands like that.
1: That's very true. Thank you so much for that. Now let's take it back a little bit. I know, you know, like every girl has had that dream of, you know, when they want to get married, when they want to have kids, when they want to be a president or a CEO of a company, you know, like where we're growing up, every girl, and this is not only pertinent to the African community, every girl has that fairy tale dream. You know, I want to be this in the future. I want my life to be this way and to be that way and stuff like that. And obviously, most of the times that never happens the way you plan, right? <laughs> we pl- we make our plans and God laughs. But I, I mean, I believe I have had that for sure. And I believe you have also had those dreams of like, oh, I would have loved to have kids by this age. But then again, of course, things happen. And then of course, fibroid happens, right? But mm-hmm. how has this whole th- experience impacted your outlook on life and plans and dreams as a whole?
0: It's been hard. It's been really hard because... I I would say that I'm only just getting to a place where it feels like it's safe now, because as I earlier told you, and um, for me it was really quite difficult because we were not living up, uh, we're we're not living together. We're always apart. Would have opportunity to be together maybe once in a year for a very short, like one week to two weeks vacation, mm-hmm. and I always would plan those vacations around you know what I think is. My revolving cycle
2: mm-hmm.
0: and put so much stress on me and my mm-hmm. partner,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and we end up being disappointed because it doesn't work out. <laughs> First of all, the society also puts a lot of pressure on um, yep. and, and and people in general. Like before you get married, they're like, "Ah, you're you're twenty five, you're twenty this, you're not married. Why are you, your friends are married, they're having kids, and then you get married, and it's like, oh, when are you giving birth? When like." People yeah. need to have their space and time. Yeah. And unfortunately, our community of people are nosy. Oh, yes. it's, it's beautiful, but it's so annoying because sometimes you're dealing with these things which they don't know about, or sometimes they know and don't care. Yeah, And it's just really in your face. And sometimes you feel like you want to throw hands. <laughs> right. <laughs> Believe me, you I'll like lay my paws on you, but no. <laughs> <laughs> so for me i had to deal with a lot of that when i got married the questions even even when i was pregnant people didn't know only my, my mom and inner circle knew mm-hmm. people would be asking oh when are you you know oh yeah you sure they'll even be asking my mom questions like they'll literally be attacking my mom you know mm-hmm. and when i when i started to gain weight the, the questions would be like how far gone are you or when are you giving birth or or you you be pregnant for how long like oh, you know wow. those type of questions you know oh, masa, you don't fight so, or like, you know, like, questions. And not only questions, but also they just throw statements at you and they're so insensitive about that. So it's it's, it's those type of things. For me, I'd say, I grew a thick skin. When you throw something at me, I'll laugh. If I'm in the mood to answer you that day, I'll probably just say, you know. But if I'm not in the mood, I'll just laugh it off and, you know, then I breathe, you know, breathe, breathe, breathe and move on with it. But I, I just learned at a very early stage to not deal with it. John also being very non-confrontational, he's, he's, he's not going to throw calls, but me, I would probably, but he just, you know, just deal with it in his own way. But it was quite tough for me, my mom, because people be asking her questions every time. Why am I not even with... those ask questions like, why am I not even with There's things that we cannot control. Mm-hmm. If we wanted to be together... we wanted we definitely wanted but the the um, circumstances were not so we i was putting a lot of stress on us and i remember our most recent trip earlier this year i had planned the whole thing because i'm meticulous with those planning Mm -hmm. i will plan i would mark everything down to the t and um so i planned i planned a a vacation earlier this year for us and that was my primary focus i didn't tell him but in my mind, I was like, this will be baby dancing all through. Mm. But <laughs> it didn't work out. It just, I ended up stressing myself to the core. And, you know, I just gave up. I just called him. He was looking at me one day like, "Nah, this lady's about to lose it. Mm. And I just called him. I was like, you know what? I'm sorry. And you have to also listen to your partner. Because sometimes we're stressing this man. And they don't know how to. It's true it's a guy who is a calm guy. I know what you know what I mean. Yeah. To, you know. <laughs> I will not say you know, I know what you mean. It's me. like honey is okay, honey okay. But you are stressing them. So I actually had to apologize to him when I told him, you know what? I give up. You know, when it when it's time, it will be time. So mm-hmm. I had to get to that place where I just accepted that, you know what, I do want kids. I mean, I all I ever wanted my entire life. I think that I had like when I was five or less, because I think I started really building my dreams when I was like five. Right. All I really wanted to do was be a mother. I knew that I wanted to be a pediatrician because I love kids. Mm. I thought my dad was going to give him t- two grandchildren. Oh and to his bed, he asked me about his t- two grandkids, which I didn't give him. Yeah. And I just knew that I they, I think my own talent is just to be nurturing, to be a mother, to, yeah. you know, I'm so at ease with the little people and they know it. And, you know, it's a mutual respect between. Right. So not being able to do that within the first five years of my marriage was you know it's quite intense and traumatic and yeah uh, yeah difficult
1: yeah i i would only imagine and i mean i'm really sorry to hear about what you went through especially with the pressures of the community you know Mm -hmm. i only imagine how that has impacted your outlook you know sometimes you know you reach the point where you're just like you know what it seems like it's something I have no control over, and mm-hmm. when it happens, it will happen. And trust and believe is going to happen. Honestly, I look forward to an update episode with you carrying your thirty-two children. <laughs> hey,
0: you know, that was five-year-old me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's still <so> doable, <laughs> right? It's true, right? You know
0: what? Auntie Anya is going to
1: send child support. <laughs> <laughs> hey, by then I would have been a billionaire. Amen. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, I I was just going to highlight the whole aspect of pressure from the African society. You know, Mm -hmm. a couple of friends and I, we, we recently spoke about that in an episode. I'm not sure when it's going to air, but it may air before or after this, but we were talking about this aspect of the African timeline right? Everybody wants you to, you know, oh, when are you getting married? When you hit a certain age, you should have been married, right? When you Mm -hmm. hit another age, you should have had kids after marriage Mm -hmm. and things like that. Like people have become so insensitive towards what the realities of these people that are in this, experiencing these ordeals could be going through, right? I really appreciate the fact that you have really opened up to me or and to the get the listeners about your experiences and about the things that you're going through you were going through and probably are still going through because this actually sheds more light on what goes on behind the scenes that people don't see and then they come with those stupid insensitive questions about right. when are you doing this or when are you doing that. Like number one is none of your business. I mean I, I may sound a little bit rude but really it's none of your business what why I'm not having a child or getting married or at at the appointment time per the african standards you know what i mean Mm -hmm. people go through stuff you have shared your stuff that you've gone through and it's very pertinent for people to really be sensitive to these things you're not Mm -hmm. having kids in this i mean five year old you wanted to have 32 kids i mean even so, not necessarily 32, but the grown up, you still wanted to have kids and nurture children. You know what I mean? Right. So mm-hmm. the fact that you're not having children, it's not by choice, obviously, but yes. those questions come off as it's your choice or you were not doing something right, Right. you know? So I, I really want to plead with all those aunties and uncles and mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters, cousins, whatever, like Try to be sensitive to these things. You know, I mean, I, for one, would tell people off. I mean, nobody comes to me. I know my family, they go to family members to ask about me because nobody will have that audacity to come to me and ask because I will tell them off for sure. But it shouldn't be that way. Honestly, it shouldn't be that way. Like we should learn to be more sensitive towards things like that and not put much, look at the pressure you went through. Imagine someone coming to carelessly ask you about why you're not having children and stuff like that. It just adds more to that stress, which is unnecessary, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's something that we have to be very, very mindful of, you know, and, that's just mine our business. I always say that. If we learn to mine our business, then life will be way more easier. There will be less wars, there will be less conflicts, there will be less, you know, fights, basically. Like there'll be more love spread if we just learn to mine our business and cheer each other on throughout this journey of life. Just saying. Now let's talk about your work at the Fibrillant Awareness Cam. And I mean, I know you in the introduction you already said a lot of the things that you guys were doing and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But what have you learned about the women and fibroids in our community, especially back in Cameroon or Africa as a whole?
0: So the first observation I made very early on is that the many who are dying to get this info, or oh, let me rephrase, not that, there's many who was eager to get this info. However, for whatever reasons, maybe, you know, those prayers were talking about or those taboos or those views, or they're just scared to be put out there. Mm-hmm. They would not necessarily want to come up to the front. Most of them, you know, just, just scared. So we set up stuff. And I, I remember, I remember Abima and I having a conversation last year when we really started and we were pumped up, we were fired up. You can imagine us like, you know, really want to do good for our community. And we're thinking charity begins at home. At home yeah. Let's start from this angle. And, um, we didn't get that response that we were looking for. Mm.
2: It
0: was very dry. It's very dry. Personally, I even got some people asking me, "That what's your point? What do you think you're trying? What do you, What do you think you're driving at? Like, what's your mandate?" Right. But we have, we have a big sister of mine who is back in Cameroon who has been doing, you know, stuff for the community. Who has been doing stuff for women in her community in Limbe and. Um, You know, I linked up with her and I talked to her. I was like, she was like, no, babe, calm down. Like, these things take time. Like, it's not like people are not listening. But you need to understand that a lot of things that deal with women, our community, really, it's tricky. It's tricky. You know, I mean, how do I explain it? It's tricky because in as much as some of the women really need this information, it's Mm. just the way the community will level a woman or you know, yeah, let me just use the word level for lack of a bit better word. The way they will level a yeah, woman stigmatize. Yes. Exactly. That's the word I'm looking for. This you know, there's a lot of stigma that surrounds things that concern women. Mm. And so you know, a lot of that has pushed a lot of women in the background where they don't want to be seen in such places. Oh, we are going for a fibrous awareness seminar. Mm fibrous has a bad, you know, stigma attached to it it's not it's not a very positive look mm-hmm. so you know so she she advised me she was like calm down and give it time and don't stop don't give up just keep at it and even if you just get one person listening in that's all you need mm-hmm. and so that drove me to the point where we were just last year i was doing a lot of live sessions a lot of online live sessions mm-hmm. Um, a couple of Zoom meetings. I was really just engaging with the audience from an online perspective. But we did have physical workshops in Limbe. Mm -hmm. And our plan, actually this year we had bigger plans, but unfortunately I had COVID and I could not. And also my partner, Dr. Abime also had had life changed as well. So Mm -hmm. we're not really in the position, everything that we planned kind of like just went out the window. Mm -hmm. But we still have things that we're planning. Maybe we might not 100% implement everything this year but right. we will make sure that before the year ends we at least reach a percentage of what our target audience was i'm currently working on my website it's ready to go really and it's it's really it's very personal to me because i'm working on it myself but i just it's ready to go but i just feel like every time i'm about to put it out there i'm like yeah, you know yeah it, you you kind of feel like you missed out on something. So, but I I believe in the next couple of weeks that should be out there and there'll be a lot more information on that page. We do have an Instagram page where, you know, Dr. Abiru and I used to put content from, you know, literally every day, but we kind of, life happened. We kind of fell off for like two months, but we'll be back on there. But the point and the the, the whole point of this group is is really just to to, to, to get the information out there. Right now, we're not really trying to treat people But we are trying to give people information and also to help them get their first hand diagnosis. So we always arrange, when you come for the seminars, we we encourage people to register for free ultrasound. So when you come to the seminar, it gives you an opportunity to register for the free ultrasound scans, which we do. Mm -hmm. We're supposed to have like two of the scans happen this year, but, you know, so we'll probably only have one before the year ends. Right. So in the next coming weeks, there'll be a lot of information on our page. We have a Facebook page and an Instagram page and that website is coming. So there'll be a lot of information on how we're going to, you know, carry out the sensitization and then registration for the ultrasound scan. So right. also it, it's, been, it's been challenging because you're trying to do something which is good, which you are trying to use to, to, to educate your people, to help right. them but sometimes you're getting a backlash. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. do I just let it go? I, I, I'm telling you, when I started, within the first week I started, women in Nigeria were reaching out to me like crazy. I a lot of Arab women scattered all over the world were reaching out to me. My my timeline is full of non cameroonians The Cameroonians were not, and it was for them. The Cameroonians right. were not coming up. And, habima was so disappointed we just encouraged her. the days i was disappointed she encouraged me the days i was she was disappointed i'll encourage her so we're just trying to encourage our sisters i know and now the more i spoke about it and the more i got vocal about it many more people that i knew in my inner circle I, I didn't even know had similar situation i've also just said inca- casually no i've just said well babes thank you yeah. You know, because me too, I had a situation like this, but being, I didn't. I don't think I was ready. know so, I wasn't ready to talk about it. I promise you, mm-hmm. I wasn't because right. it's you feel like it's personal, like it's yeah, your. It's I mean, personal. you don't know if any other person is, is having the same struggle, so you're like, you no, know, I don't want to put myself out there. Maybe people would mock me. Maybe people would think I'm in You know, for us African women, you cannot be deemed as an infertile or barren yeah. woman.
2: Yeah, you know, that's so very it's, true. It's, it's,
0: It's very tough to do it. But then again, I want to say that in as much as fibroids affects fertility, you don't actually get infertile because you have fibroids. But if you are careless with your fibroids, Mm -hmm. you could actually put yourself at risk of being infertile. Because one of the things when I I heard that I had fibroids, when I was diagnosed, I was scared. But my my, my current gynecologist, we had a long chat about this. And he was like, no, man, relax. Your problem is actually really because you're stressing yourself, you know, like the process I explained to you because we're, yeah. we're apart and every time we meet, you know, I'm just thinking I'm thinking about the fibroids. I'm thinking about my biological clock. I'm yeah. thinking about yeah. all those things. So he's like, relax, give yourself time. I would say just take six months of you and your husband. And then you guys don't think of it like your baby dancing, but just You know, learn to love yourselves. Yeah, Learn to get to know yourselves. So for women who are actually living with their partners, that's what they should do as opposed to straining themselves. And that's why I said it's important to have a partner who, you know, is also interested in your health. Because African men most times are just like, it's your problem. It's your problem. You know, it's, it's you you are the woman, it's your problem. And half of the time, even if you have fibroids, you, your man can be the one who has, you know, some fertility issues yep. and not you. Yeah. Because you know, there's women carrying babies to full time with fibroids and the baby is fighting with the fibroids as well. So, right. Um. It, you know, it's it, this, 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 I think this, this, this conversations that we're having today and we will continue to have are very important because these are the, these are, this are the, the, the topics that spark an interest. Yes. yes. And, um, you know, bring clarity to people who feel like their minds are clouded when they're, they're going through this.
1: Yeah, that's very true. I totally agree. And I just want to really thank you so much for sharing your story and sharing all these words of advice, especially to women who are going through this or women who may be ignorant about issues and even men who may be ignorant about such issues because we need both parties to work together. Right. And you mm-hmm. said a few things that were really important. I mean, it just made me think of this. I was watching a video. I don't know. I've watched so many videos lately. But uh, this lady said a lot of our our physiological and physical issues that we experience with our bodies and our health, they actually stem from a mental perspective. So they stem from stress, like mental trauma and even emotional trauma. All the stressors that we experience actually influence the sickness that we had, the sicknesses that we tend to have, you know. So sometimes just, I mean... We have so much power over our bodies that we have no idea about. You know, Some literally our body can heal itself. I mean, I don't want to get too much into that, you know, but our mind, when we condition our mind, I mean, even our... I would say mind, but of course your mental, you know, your brain, that's where a lot of hormones are secreted, you know? Mm-hmm. And of course, if you're getting stressed, the hormones that are not going to, that are not as good will be released and stuff. that mm-hmm. I mean, in the easiest way, that's just the easiest way I can put it. I'm not trying to get too technical, but there's a lot of things that we can overcome in our health if we get rid of the stress, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's a very important aspect in managing such an issue as well, like to try to relax, just try to exercise and you know, other things that we have already spoken about, but I just wanted to thank you for spreading that knowledge through this platform, spreading the knowledge through your Fibroid Awareness CAM organization. And I will definitely put in the contact information in the show notes, I mean, for your social media handles and Mm -hmm. also the website when it comes out, you know, we will be very glad to let our our listeners know and so on a personal level if people have to contact you what how do they contact you for maybe advice or resources
0: okay so you can you can either contact me on my my personal instagram page i mean that's where most people actually reach me Mm -hmm. and i used to have a specific whatsapp number for when people reach me but it's not as popular as my personal one at the moment, I'm not very comfortable sharing my personal WhatsApp, so I just rather have people reach me on Social Instagram, mm-hmm. either on my personal page or on the fibres awareness mm-hmm. page. And there's an email as well, so you could email me. I'm, I mean, I'm open like that. I, in fact, I want you to reach out to me. I'll, I'm, I'll, yeah. I'll get back to you as soon right. as I can. Like if I see the, I'm on my phone. Listen, I have what, ten digits. My phone is the eleventh one, so. I'm always on that on that
1: place Yeah, so I'll have all that information posted in the show notes for those who are interested in reaching out to you. Again, Mm -hmm. I just want to thank you so much for such a conversation. I mean, this story really give me different perspectives, and I hope it does the same for the listeners. Mm -hmm. And hopefully we can be more sensitive to such issues and just sensitive to the way people choose to live their life or the experiences Mm -hmm. that they have. Because sometimes certain things that people experience are not by choice. It just happens. So we have to be very sensitive about that. So I hope that this conversation does not end here i hope that we can take the conversations to our circles whether it be family friends or associates and really just talk about how we can be better at treating one another and being kind to one another and also just be vulnerable and share our experiences because you will be surprised what your neighbor is going through that you have no idea about and when you have that idea you know hopefully it can inspire you to be to be better as a person, especially when you, towards that person, you know, it's inspire you to have more empathy, have more compassion with the way you treat people that you may or may not know. So I just want to thank you so much and you're always welcome here and yeah. So I will catch (laughs) you in the next episode. Bye.
0: FarmBard. Thanks again for listening and let's not forget to be more understanding and nicer to one another.